One, two, one, two.
morning, Grace. That's strong. That was a strong good morning. You guys are awake today. I was telling uh, Kevin, I, I actually had the thought before I told Kevin, I wonder what it would be like if, if like, we were up here on the stage and your chairs were turned that way. Would you still worship? Would you be good listeners? <laughs> yeah, I wasn't expecting that. Well, if you're visiting with us at Grace, we're thrilled you're here today to be a part of our worship service, and that's what we've come to do is worship the Lord Jesus Christ. When I was in high school, I had a, my senior year, I had an English teacher named Mr. Benoit, and Mr. Benoit had a large stride. He would walk like this from the back of the classroom to the chalkboard. He would take giant steps. His message to us throughout the year was always, no matter what type of literature we were reading, he would always talk about an introduction, body, and conclusion, and drilled it into our heads. Um, if I was asked, what did I learn from Mr. Benoit's class, introduction, body, and conclusion, and so this week, this past week, as I was in First John, and this might kind of sound odd to you, but... For some reason, Mr. Benoit came to my mind, and it specifically applied to the verses that we will go through uh, this week and next, and so I gave you a handout, and on that handout, you will see introduction, body, and conclusion. Now, I am going to give you more than what is there, but that is in the PowerPoint that you'll see this morning, and it kind of fills in some of the guts of that. This morning, our... Our, uh, hopefully, um, we will get through uh, the first part of the body, uh, and then next week we will wrap up dealing with the body of this argument, and then verse 17. This is one of those sections that is not only a must-read, but a must-pay attention, must-evaluate, uh, must-be honest, um, must not necessarily look to your neighbor, but look to you. I was telling someone before the service, this is, this is just one of those troubling passages. John is not one of those guys that tends to beat around the bush. He just shoots it straight. And I don't know how you deal with that with, you know, people and as you deal in the world each day. Do you like those people that kind of beat around the bush or they just shoot straight? We lived in New York State. People, um, they shoot straight up in the north. And if they don't like what you're wearing, they'll just say, that doesn't look good on you. I mean, down here, if you said that, you'd be in trouble right away. But John gets right to the point. And I kind of like that. I'm that kind of person that I like that. And so he's very clear in the introduction in verse 15. The body of what I think he's discussing is in 16. And his conclusion is in 17. All of this ties into our fellowship with the Lord. And we said from the beginning that sin interrupts that fellowship with the Lord. And um, we're forced to kind of deal with that subject this week and next week as it relates to the world and the things in the world. Do we love the world? Or do we love the Father? Because you can't do both. It's you love the Father 
or you love the world. And that's a daily thing. That's a fellowship thing. We're not talking about relationship. We're talking about fellowship. We would, we would be hard-pressed to say that there aren't days that we don't wake up loving the world and the things in the world. And we live in a world today that is so ever-changing, and our young people are being bombarded with concepts that are even foreign to me as a young man who went through the public school system. So there's a lot to consider. And um, I was uh, here, I guess, was it Friday? And I was trying to remember the ladies that were outside. They were talking sometime this last week. And uh, they've been doing Bible study. And I said to a couple of three ladies that were outside, what if we just started the service with just some quiet time? Right? That'd be kind of weird to those who are watching. But I think it's important at times, as the scriptures tell us, be still and know that I am God. And so being still and knowing he cares about what we will discuss today is very critical, I think, uh, to our daily fellowship with the Lord. So I'm just going to give you a moment or two just to um, be in silence before the Lord and... Um, and then I'll pray, and the praise team will come and lead us. Father, um, we come to you uh, this morning. Uh, we've gathered in this place today, I hope, for the purpose of worshiping our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, um, there are serious moments in life. I'm like the next guy. I like to have a good time. I like to laugh. I enjoy the life that you've given me. Father, there are times in our lives where we are forced to deal with what's serious. And what you consider to be serious, what you've given to us through the apostles, that we might understand who you are better, and if we can just say, it is amazing, Father, that you want relationship and fellowship with us. But you do. 
And we understand that there are things that go on in our day that interrupt that time. Not all the things are bad things. They're just things. Some of them, however, are things that are hurtful and harmful to our walk with you. Father, help us to be a church that's willing to face those hardships in our lives, those interruptions that tend to move us away from the fellowship that you desire us to have. Help us not to brush to the side these issues or say to ourselves, I've heard this passage before. I already know what it says. I don't need to listen. And I pray that your spirit would work in our hearts and our lives and if our minds need to change about some things, that they would change. And if we need to repent, that we would do that. That we might consider seriously the wonderful, wonderful proposition that you desire fellowship with those who belong to you. May we honor you in what we sing today. And may we honor you in what we say today as we look at your word, your love letter to us. All these things, Father, I pray in the precious name of Jesus Christ, who is my Savior and my Lord. Amen. Morning, church. Great to see everybody this morning. Well, Jesus Christ, guys, is the Savior of the world, the whole world. He shed his blood so that we can be reconciled to God the Father. He's the rock on which we can build our lives. So let's stand. We want to lift his name high this morning as we worship him. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all of the ground is sinking sand. All of the ground is sinking sand. When darkness fears to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy game, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all of the ground is sinking sand. All of the ground is sinking sand. His oath is Support me in the whelming flood When all around my soul gives way He then is all my hope and stay On Christ the Son 
reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So before we sing this next song, guys, we're just going to play quietly for just a few seconds. I want you guys to just take a minute and just talk to the Lord and ask him that he would do that. He would help you to realize. You open your eyes, fill your spirit to understand the height, the depth, the width of the love of Christ and how much he really loves you. Oh 
his covenant shame when he came for me I couldn't run couldn't run from his presence I couldn't run couldn't run from his arms Jesus he loves me he loves me he is for me Jesus how can it be he loves me he is for schedule there's one more song <laughs> but I am not going to sing it 
Hopefully you have your Bibles in 1 John, in the second chapter, that's where we will be uh, this morning, and verses 15 through 17 is our um, focus, and we need the help of the Lord to keep us focused on what He has for us. I'd like to read the verses, and then we will have a word of prayer. John says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, And the boastful pride of life, not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God abides or lives forever. Let's pray. Father, by your spirit this morning, I pray that we would have a better understanding of what John is writing to his audience, so that we wouldn't just consider that it was a message for his audience, but indeed it's a message for us. And all this we pray in the name of Christ, amen. High school, I ran track, and I had an opportunity to watch a lot of guys do different events in track, and one of my favorite events was the hurdles, watching guys do something that I could not do. Every once in a while for fun, um, we would kind of swap places with some of the guys. I was just strictly a runner. I didn't do pole vaulting, although that just looked absolutely fun, but dangerous. (laughs) I viewed it as dangerous. Um, I just ran, but I enjoyed watching the other guys and their events, and uh, one of the ones that was my favorite, like I said, was the hurdles, and so we would, uh, every once in a while, just run the hurdles. One of the very first times that I ran the hurdles, I remember coming to the first hurdle and just being so excited because I made it over, and I made it over the second, and... I even made it over the third, but it looked like the hurdles were never going to end. I didn't make it over the last few very well at all. In fact, I remember hitting my shin on the hurdle, and you know, you want to tough it out, and I would get up, and I would go to the next one, I've got this one, and bam, and then the next one, and bam, left a mark. It was painful. Not being in fellowship with the Lord is painful. Except it's not the shin, it's the gut. David in his life describes a time when he is out of fellowship with the Lord this way. My body wasted 
away. My groaning was all day long. My vitality was drained as with the fever heat of summer. He was a whipped man. He was aching. Did he know the Lord God? Answer, yes. He was in relationship with him, but his fellowship was interrupted because of sin. He hit a hurdle, and it hurt. It had consequence in his life. We know the story of David. We know what took place. He should have been with his men, but he was not with his men. And he stayed back, and he lusted after Bathsheba, and he had her brought to him, and he sinned. And he was at least in that state for eight months to a year. And so when you have the description of David and his sin in Psalm 32, it's a punch to the gut. And we know through reading Psalm 51, his desire to fellowship with the Father. It's expressed in Psalm 51. In some tremendous language where David says, take not thy spirit from me. He wanted that intimacy with the Father and he longed for that. He understood the transgression that was in front of him. But we do remember the story, don't we, that David was in his sin and then Nathan the prophet came to him. It's hard to admit that one is in sin or one may be in love with the world or the things in the world. It's a hard assessment. And I've had a lot of time to think through this and it's been very troubling to me. But it's very real that a believer can get to a point of loving the world and the things in the world and the love of the Father not be present. It's almost like one of those scary statements, is it not? Wow, that, can that be true? It, it, it can be true. As you look at the passage itself, there's one main point. Do not love the world, love the Father. How many of you would admit that it's difficult not to love the world at times? And remember, he says, not just the world, but the things in the world, which he puts flesh to in verse 16, which you're really not going to like next week. I'm warning you. It's tough. But I'm one of those guys in my life as a Christian, I've been a believer for 50 years. My battle in my Christian life has been with the world and the things in the world. I'm not sure where you are, but that's where I've been. So I assume we're in the same canoe. Because we're believers. 
And my assumption, based on the context of the passage, is that John's language is to those who belong to the Lord. Why would you tell a pagan not to love the world? They're going to love the world, and it's going to be evident. But I think John's big point is you're missing out on loving the Father and fellowship with the Father if you're loving the world. Does that make sense? In a positive way to say that. In other words, fellowship with the, with the Father is way better than the world or the things in the world. You experience that in your Christian life where you've been down the wrong trail and your fellowship, you're away from the Lord and the Lord reminds you, hey, I'm good. I'm really good. Maybe it's just a verse you happen, someone happens to share with you. They come up to you and, and you're maybe not in a good place and they walk up to you and they say, man, have you considered that section of scripture? And you're like, I'm not considering any scripture right now. And you go to it because the Spirit moves you to it and, and you're reading it and you're like, yes. Just like a, a nice breeze on a, on a hot day. Wow, Lord, you are refreshing. You know why our God is refreshing? We sang about a lot of that today. He loves us. He never changes. He's truly concerned about your life. I've been very blessed in my life to have a lot of people concerned about me. You know, some people are just looking for one or two or three. But our Father, our Heavenly Father, if you belong to the Lord today, you have a Father who is intimately acquainted with all of your ways. He knows you full well. He made you. And you know what He also knows? He knows our weakness. And he knows we're prone to wonder. <laughs> and so, while there's a lot of great news when it comes to relationship, there's a lot of hard news when it comes to maintaining fellowship with the Father. And the hard news is, there's the sin thing. And so he says, do not love the world, love the Father. That's the main point. It's the main thrust. Let's get to the heart of it here in verse 15 look what he says John says to his audience do not love the world nor the things in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him these next two statements are not in your notes but I, I, there's two reasons that I wrote down in mine for the command at least two why does John command his audience to not love the world nor the things in the world. Well, first of all, the world is opposed to the Father. The world is opposed to the Father. The world is in opposition to the Father. The world is in opposition to creation. The world is in opposition to Christ. The world is in opposition to one message that says, You are a sinner in need of a Savior, Jesus Christ. The world is in opposition to what we believe. Do you understand that? Strong opposition. Strongly opposed. 
In fact, so many people today, do you know the fastest growing religion today is none religion? 28%. Say, I don't need anything or anybody. I'm going to live life and I'm going to live it up because I'm going to die and who knows what happens, but I'm certainly not going to stand before some God. The world is opposed to the Father. What ought to make us sit here and just take that moment of pausing and say, Father, thank you for my salvation. Because I know the end of the story. And I know, just like I taught the youth one Wednesday night, there's heaven and there's hell. And my opening question to them was, are you going to hell? The world is in opposition to the Father. There's a second reason, the world is passing away. Everything in it is passing away. I remember doing a funeral one time, and I, I don't want this to come out wrong, but it was in New York, so it was nobody here. But I remember going to the funeral home, and, and I didn't know the family. There was a, a funeral home that was in town. I, I used to work with a guy named Charlie up there, and he would he would periodically call me and say, Thad, can you do a funeral? And I'm sure. I always thought it was an opportunity for the gospel. I always said, yeah. And um, I'll never forget the family coming around the casket and throwing everything they could in the casket. Everything. And their language was, he's going to need this. He's going to like this. He's going to appreciate this. And I'm like, No. No. I didn't say it out loud. I wasn't rude or hurtful or harmful. But my message to them at the funeral was, all this is passing away. Think about the things that people invest in. Nothing wrong with investment. But think about it as you compare it, what's temporal to what's eternal. <laughs> you know, Paul and John write in kind of crazy language for us. Set your mind on the things above and not on the things on the earth. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> you know, and it's not that we don't live on the earth and we don't have things to take care of and we, we enjoy the things that we have. But what's more important? The things of the world, the things where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Well, just like that family who was hopeless, we live in a culture of great hopelessness. And the world is passing away. And we know that there is global warming that's coming. Don't we? The Bible tells us about it. So the next conversation you have with someone... So yeah, there's global warming, and let me show you where it is in Second Peter. It's coming. 
So the reasons, I think, for the command are at least those two. The world is opposed to the Father and the world is passing away. We need to understand the term world, I think, because he uses it six times in three verses. So like, you know, you're like, okay, what in the world are you talking about? There's three main thoughts. There are others, but three main thoughts when it comes to the word world in the scriptures. One refers to the physical universe. Um, that We see the created world of our Lord. Aren't we more amazed as we get older about the creation that we see? Someone was talking a few days ago about the stars and I've always lived in like the suburbs and you know the street lights and everything else interrupting and now I don't live in the suburbs and I'm very thankful and there are some nights when I get home and I get out of the truck or now I've got the van I'm driving too <laughs> but I get either one I'm getting out of and I'm like whoa that's how it is isn't it whoa so it refers to the physical universe, the created universe. It also refers to people living it. For God so loved the world. Okay. So it refers to people living in it. But this is the, the thought here that John has in the last one. It refers to the world system. The system of the world that is hostile toward God. Which in just a phrase... The world is anti-Christ. Does that make sense? Anti-Christ. Against Christ. It began with Lucifer. And it continues. And Satan is opposed to Christ. The world is opposed to Christ. The world is opposed to truth. On many levels. Well, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the philosophies of the world, the viewpoints of the world, the teachings of the world. Like, for example, the teaching of evolution, that it is fact, is a philosophy of the world. And what has it done? Evolution has what? It has put aside the six days of literal creation in which the God of all creation created the heavens and the earth and man and woman. God created. So what does evolution do? It takes away from that. The philosophy of the world that ending life is okay. That abortion is just fine. That goes against what? The scriptures. The scriptures say we are fearfully and what? Wonderfully made. The Lord told Jeremiah, before I formed you, I knew you. And by the way, knew him as male. If we just go back to Genesis, he created them male and female. That's it. 
And you don't even have to be a doctor to figure it out. Male or female. The philosophies of the world say it's all about you. It's not even about those in your family. Do you understand that? The philosophies of the world, listen, they creep in. And and they come in messages like, no one else matters but you. Are you listening to me? Like, that's the counseling that people give. So if you're going in for marriage counseling, you're having problems, and you're going to secular counseling, well, what really matters is you. But then they have to look at that next person, what really matters is you. Now try to get them together on that. So the philosophies of the world are not pro-marriage, not biblical marriage. And might I request that we as a church not refer to marriage in any other way than between a man and a woman? Might I ask that? That we not even call these other things marriage because they're not. See, God's already said That's good enough for me. Let me just say one more thing about that counseling piece. My 30, almost two years of pastoring and being an associate for nine of those years, I've done lots of counseling. At the end of the day, you know what I can't get around? This book. What does the Bible say? Is that a good question? So if you're coming in for marriage counseling, what does the Bible say? If you're coming in for counseling about money, what does the Bible say? Now, you know why that's not acceptable? Because this is too straightforward. Like, Thad, love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You know what that means? It means I'm to love her unconditionally and sacrificially. I'm not waiting for Teresa to get where she needs to be based on what I think. The philosophies of the world, the viewpoints of the world... We listen to them all the time. And if you're watching the news every day, you're hearing it. And boy, let me tell you what's happening. I didn't plan on saying all this, but let me tell you what's happening. There is a line in the sand being drawn. Truth and error. Baba. And young people, you who I love very dearly, you're going to have to make choices about what side of the fence you're going to be on. See, because sitting on the fence is uncomfortable anyway. You ever sat on a fence? So, my grid, since I was a boy, and I'm thankful for this. Of course, it's, it's not tolerated by some, and I understand that. But man, I'm a black and white kind of guy. God said it. That's good enough for me. I don't even need an explanation. It's just God said it. But the philosophies of the world are all about you and all about how you feel. 
Well, these are just some introductory thoughts. But that's what he's talking about, the world system. We'll talk more about that in just a moment, I think, if we get to it. Some thoughts. Some thoughts about the command that John gives. And these are very important because they're tied to the text. You can't miss it. Number one, John's not giving a suggestion. He's not going, now listen, guys, if you don't want to love the world, you know, but whatever, whatever you want, right? No, he's, he's giving a command. In fact, in the Greek language, it's an imperative. And there's, it's present tense, and there's a couple of different suggestions or thoughts, and I don't have this on PowerPoint, so you're going to have to either write it down or remember it or hope that I hand you something next week. That's a pretty good chance that'll happen. But John here, based on the construction of the sentence, there are two thoughts, and the theologians are divided on this. I think both are fine. First of all, either John's saying to his audience, stop loving the world, stop doing it. In other words, they were doing it, and stop loving the things in the world. Or he's saying to them, don't start doing that. Right? Well, are both appropriate? Sure they are. If you're loving the world or the things in the world, John's saying to you, stop. And if you aren't, he's saying, don't start. Don't start loving the world or the things in the world. Um, all right, so that's the first point here that's very critical. So he's saying to them, stop or don't start. The command has a specific audience in mind, is the second thing that I see from the scriptures. You say, Thad, where's the audience? I believe in context, the audience is in the previous section. When he refers to fathers and children and young men, that's who he's talking to. I'm not so certain that his instruction is not just directed toward the young men primarily. The reason I say that, remember in that culture when that term was used, it referred to those in their 20s to 40s. Well, there's lots of things that hit you in life in your 20s to 40s, is there not? Lots of things in the world to deal with and things in the world. So I don't know whether or not John has just the young men in mind. I don't think so because loving the world and the things in the world can be a problem whether you're a spiritual father or mother or whether you're a spiritual child and certainly whenever you're a young man, young man or young woman in the Lord. So I do believe he has that audience in mind, which in the context is a Christian audience. So he's talking to believers. And it makes sense that he would. Because it goes with language like, do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. It goes well. And remember in Romans, I mean, he's writing that in a, in a section where he's talking about the life of the believer on a daily basis. He's not talking about relationship. He's talking about fellowship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So he does have a specific audience in mind, I think. 
and that audience is the fathers, children, and young men. But it's interesting to me that he ends verse 14 with young men and then goes right to this. For me, that's just one of those, oh, that's interesting. All right, third thought from this section is the world is the entire system of rebellion against God. And we've kind of already talked about that a little bit. But it is the entire system. I mentioned philosophies and thoughts and viewpoints. Uh, we talked about the Christian counseling piece. We talked about a little bit about the gender issue. That is, it's raging out of control from my perspective. I don't know how you feel about it. It's like a, a wildfire. Like somebody started, just, you know, struck a match, and, and next thing it's just a blaze. And I wrote in my notes that it's a philosophy that the world is not only okay with, but parents of children are promoting it. You say, well, how do you know? You watch ESPN? There's a commercial on ESPN, and it's a family. Mom, dad, mom does all the talking in the commercial. I'd say the majority, anyway. Mom, dad, children. And the girl doesn't want to identify as a girl. So the mom, and this girl can't be more than 12 years old, is encouraging, and they have been encouraging her to become a boy. And the way it is promoted on ESPN is absolutely sickening. Now, I don't know how you feel about that. But here's the truth. They are damaging that little girl. This is a good time to bring this up. In two weeks, I'm doing a message to fathers and husbands. I hadn't done that in a while. I'm doing it. Because this is what I see. I see the culture today, and I don't know how to say this right, so I'm apologizing up front. And if you want to hit me afterwards, that's fine. It's not too hard because I need to eat lunch. More women are leading homes today than men. You say, well, I have a passive husband. Okay. But that doesn't mean he can't lead. And again, it goes back to the philosophy of the world, which is whoever leads is fine, versus what God's already said, which is the husband is the head of the home. Period. So, like, when I don't embrace something God has already said, that's a problem. It is nauseating to me to see these parents promoting that for their children. By the way, it's a good time to interject this. It's only going to get worse. I will say something positive. There is an opportunity for the church 
to stand and in love be honest and share the gospel. Well, the leader, I didn't know I'd already put that up there. The leader of the world system is Satan himself. We're going to look at some of that next week as we get to the guts of this. But Satan himself is the leader of all this. And he has certainly made inroads. If you just take one point in American history and look at the change since the word and prayer were taken out of the schools, oh my goodness. Can you imagine having the textbook be the Bible and learning English? Wouldn't that be awesome? But I remember Principal Perry coming on the microphone when I was in elementary school, reading a verse from the Bible and praying before our day started. That's all I ever knew when I was in elementary school. But it changed. And now children are leading the home today. They don't even know their place. And parents are placating to the every whim of the child so, how, so they can keep them in the home. And so, they, so they'll continue to be in their friend. And it's like, hold on, that's the philosophy of the world. Listen to me, parents. The philosophy of the world is I want my kid to be my friend. I want to tell you all day long, I want my boys eventually to be my friend. And guess what? They are. And they're all bigger and stronger and they can hurt dad. But I am certainly thankful they're my friends now. But I can promise you, raising Caleb, Micah, and Andrew, and especially my oldest one, if you know who he is, strong-willed. I didn't go up to him and say, you know what, Kevin, I want to reason with you today. He would have said, if he was 10 years old, Dad, what's wrong with you? Because from the time I was five, sitting on the log at Parkway Christian, you spanked me. And he needed lots more than the, old, than the next two. I think Mike and Andrew just looked at that and said, No, I don't want any part of that. <laughs> you know, the Bible tells us that the God of this age is the enemy. Paul's writings, he says, In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The enemy has blinded people over generations. That just ought to make us more thankful that the Lord opened our eyes to the need for the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, fourth observation. John is clear that one cannot love the world and love the Father at the same time. It can't happen. You say, Thad, how do you know that? Because it's in the language of verse 15. Look at what verse 15 says. Do not love the world nor the things in the world, which, by the way, things there, he gets to in the next verse. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. There's so many times in Scripture where you run up against the word if. If, 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 if. And you're like, well, what in the world? Why can't they just shoot it out straight? Well, they are. 
but you can't really get the guts of it unless you go to the Greek. So what this is, this if statement, it's a third-class condition. Isn't that awesome? You can write that in your notes. And you don't even probably care what that is, or, but you really do because it's very important. A third-class condition says if the one thing ever happens, the other thing will always happen. Now read that verse. If anyone loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. In other words, if a person's loving the world, they can't love the Father. They've crowded him out. With what? The world. Or the things in the world. In other words, if, if one loves the world... He is not loving the Father. I like what Wayne Barber says about this. He says, love for the world pushes out love for the Father. That's just simple and to the point. Love for the world, and I would add to that things, because he's going to get some meat on there next week. Love for the world pushes out love for the Father. Do you know that happened to Israel? You remember when Israel came out of Egypt? Wow. God, did God just show himself strong all along the way? Yeah, he did. And they crossed that sea. And they can you imagine what it must have been like to have that wall of water just standing there? And you're like, who's the first one that took that step? What an amazing thing. You go first, right? And they, they walk across that, and the Egyptian armies are consumed. And then the Bible says in chapter 15 of Exodus, man, they are having a worship service. They're worshiping. They're loving the Lord. But then what happens? They were hungry, they were thirsty, and they, they were, well, man, this ain't the steak we were eating in Egypt, right? We're not enjoying all the, the fine things that they had to offer. All we're getting is this manna stuff. Well, there's a lot of good lessons in that for us. One is just being thankful for what we have. Another is this, what someone else would look at as not so much, we can look at as a blessing from God. Oh, it's not that steak. Yeah, but it's provision. It's what you need. You know how people get captured by the world? Thinking beyond the needs. I had a relative one time say to me, Thad, you don't need to go into the ministry because they're not going to pay you. Like at all? <laughs> Nothing? 
I can stand and testify to the goodness of the Lord over 32 years. Not just providing, but over and abundant. Blessings. Israel at times made bad decisions. <laughs> That's simple language, but it's true. They made bad decisions. They forgot. How many times can we read a story in the Old Testament where we could say Israel forgot? They forgot. But then I have to turn that right back on myself and say, how many times have I forgot? This next section is longer. It's, goodness, it's longer. I'm going to share something with you and then we're going to close. I can't believe I've been up here for 37 minutes, but it happens. I want to share two things with you. I'll replace these next week. Dan DeHaan tells of a Christian pastor who had a 10-year bondage to lust, which included a regular diet of pornography. And during this time, he conducted Christian conferences and seminars across the country. The agony of his inner conflict finally became unbearable. To his horror, he realized that such pleasures as a breathtaking sunset or the soft spray of an ocean breeze no longer excited him. Well, that's what happens when sin gets in the way. His obsession with lust had dulled his appreciation of life's finest enjoyments and prevented the joy of daily fellowship with the Lord Jesus. Although he had been outwardly faithful to his wife, not having engaged in adultery, he had sinned. And the relationship had suffered. When he turned to God, he realized that a necessary step in breaking his lustful pattern was a long talk with his wife. The whole experience was painful and awkward, but the repentance was genuine. You know what happened? She forgave him. And love returned to their marriage. Repentance, though painful, resulted in restored communion with the Lord and with his wife. Guys, sin can easily get in to the door. It can come in the form of loving the world or the things in the world, which we will discuss next week. But I want to end with an encouragement to you because that's the kind of father we serve. We serve a father who loves us and who genuinely cares about the things that go on with us. And in the high priestly prayer in John 17... The Lord prayed for his disciples, thus praying for us. He says about his disciples to his father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, 
but that you keep them from the evil one. Man, that's love. The Lord Jesus knew that the world hated him. He writes that. The world, hey, don't be surprised if the world hates you. It hated me. In fact, it says he, it has hated me. Don't be surprised, guys, that the world hates you. And the world hates me. Especially in these days. And as I was talking to someone this week, we have to be willing to stand on the word of God without apology. Because one day, every single one of us who are in Christ will stand before him and be accountable for the things that we know. We know, for example, that marriage is between a man and a woman. So in no way should we support the philosophy of the world which says, do whatever you want to do. And we'll call it marriage. That's not marriage. Marriage is between one man and one woman. That's what God has said. Well, let's pray. And next week we'll get into the meat of verse 16. Well, Father, I thank you for uh, leading this morning. and. I know my plan was to get further, but you you had a different plan. And that's okay with me, because I trust you. And I know that we'll get to verse 16 next week, and we'll consider all that's in there. There's a lot in there to consider. And we'll wrap it up with what John concludes in verse 17. I guess my prayer this morning, Father, would be that we would appreciate the fellowship that we can enjoy with you through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only through Christ that we can enjoy that fellowship. Other young people in this room, and I just love young people. I love all ages, but I love young people. And they are so bombarded with mixed messages today about who they are, about what life's about. They're presented with evolution as that it's fact when the reality is it's fiction God you you created the heavens and the earth in six literal days and you rested on the seventh you gave us a picture in Genesis of what man and woman is to be I pray that we would appreciate the life that you give us, the days and the hours that you give us. May we be people moved by your spirit to long for that fellowship with you every day. And that happens as we open your word, as we pray, as we fellowship with other believers. May we be encouraging to one another as we see the day drawing near. All these things I pray in the wonderful name of Christ. Amen. Well, guys, we, uh, I picked out the music earlier this week. and um, 
This is a song we don't do a whole lot, but um, the Lord's really, I mean, it was like, I don't know, I think on Tuesday, started really pounding me about this song, and it goes right in with what Thad was teaching us. Um, you know, that sin that gets a hold of us, there's a way we combat that, and the message of this song is how we combat that. It's a constant awareness of our need every minute, every second for the Lord. We so quickly slip back into loving the world. We so quickly slip back into putting ourselves first, uh, our own desires, our own thoughts, and, but we need him. We need him every single minute of every day. So let's all stand. Let's worship the Lord together as we close the service.
Well, it's a very powerful song, isn't it? Powerful message. And one that um, we say we need him every hour, we do. But we live in a culture that says we don't need him at all. So there for us is a challenge. I want to encourage you before we leave today. The Lord um, is a wonderful provider. And, you know, we, we had a project with the building. I think it was $3.1 million to start, something around like that. We borrowed $900,000 four years ago or so, and now we're down to uh, $19,000, a little over $19,000. And so thank the Lord. And if you've been visiting with us or are visiting with us, we, um, we don't pass a plate. I know it's a lot part of the worship time in a lot of churches, and that's fine. That's great. We just don't do that here. We believe God's people give. We have plates out in the fellowship hall for people to give. But I just want to um, encourage you with that. And I encourage you, if you visited with us today, I'd love to talk with you and, and just to get a chance to meet you. And uh, we are having a New to Grace uh, class today. Uh, for those who have been attending that are interested in possibly joining our fellowship, we're always interested in, in having other people join us and worshiping with us and fellowshipping with us. So. It's been great to see you today. Um, I appreciate you, and I appreciate just right from the get-go, you were right there. I mean, good morning. Good morning. I mean, that's nice. It's those, it's those times when I say good morning, and you go, morning. I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> this is going to be a long day. So I trust you have a wonderful day uh, with the Lord and with those around you, and uh, you are dismissed.